This episode is brought to you by Blueberry. Blueberry is a powerful hosting service that can help your podcast become a success. Just record, edit your show, log into WordPress, and start a new blog. And presto, a pop-up loader appears. By the time your blog is finished, your podcast is loaded and ready to post. No third-party sites to log into. You never have to leave your website, and you own your RSS feed. Blueberry allows you to schedule your podcast and will optimize them for iTunes or Google Play. I use Blueberry for this show, and I highly recommend it. Try Blueberry today. Visit Blueberry.com, promo code The Renaissance for a free month of hosting. Also brought to you by the Renaissance Podcast Tour of Italy. I know everyone listening wants to join me in Italy next summer. Here's your chance. Come and tour with fellow listeners of the podcast. You hang out with yours truly. And we will get to see many of the works of art we've discussed in the podcast. Michelangelo's Sistine Ceiling in person. You'll be inches from the School of Athens as well as tour many of the sites in Florence and see firsthand Brunelleschi's Dome. We're going to spend two nights in Venice, two nights in Florence, and three nights in Rome. Just visit the website, therenaissancepodcast.com, and click on the Tour tab for more information. The tour ID is dbird2017, that's D-B-Y-R-D, all caps, 2017, for more information. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance, episode 21, Bramante, A New Vision for Rome. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Bird. In the previous episode, we touched briefly on Bermonti as the rival and competitor of Michelangelo. Now let's take a closer look at the career and art of Donato Bramante, an artist who was so pivotal in reshaping the Eternal City and ushering in a true golden age for Rome. We often think of Bramante as the adversary of Michelangelo. In fact, he is cast as the villain in both Vasari and Condivi's accounts of Michelangelo's life. This characterization is probably unfair since both Vasari and Condivi were friends and students of Michelangelo. What has come down to us in their telling of Bramante is likely a skewed portrait. I myself never really gave Bramante much thought until I visited Rome and realized that practically every Renaissance building in the city was built by him or remodeled by him or in some way had a connection to Bermonti. Even Michelangelo's work on St. Peter's Basilica was essentially a return to Bermonti's original design. It was Bermonti who ushered in the High Renaissance in Rome, a fact that is often overlooked. Bermonti was born Donato di Agnolo in 1444 in the state of Urbino. Like many Renaissance masters, we know little of his early training, Various accounts place him as a student of Piero della Francesca or Fra Bartolomeo. Perhaps he was a student of both, 
or he studied the works of both men, who had a keen interest in perspective. It's unclear, and there's no documents that I found that indicate an apprenticeship with either man. His early training in painting, before pursuing architecture, helps to explain why Pope Julius looked to Bermonti when selecting painters for the Vatican. In 1474, Bermonti heads for Milan. Here he becomes the court architect for the Duke of Milan, Ludovico Sforza. While in the court of the Duke, he would meet and become friends with Leonardo da Vinci. While in Milan, he would complete the choir of the Church of Santa Maria Pressa San Satiro. Bermonti had limited space in which to work. So using perspective, he combined painting and bas-relief to create the illusion of depth. He also would build the tribune for Santa Maria della Grazia, the same monastery that is home to Leonardo's Last Supper. As we've discussed previously, the Duke of Milan was driven from power by the French, and as a consequence, Bermonti fled to Rome. Once in Rome, he immediately contacted Cardinal della Rovere, with whom he had already become acquainted with. Rovery was a powerful ally, and soon after Bermonti's arrival in Rome, Rovery would be elected Pope. Under the patronage of the Cardinal, Bermonti began planning the Palace of San Giorgio and the Church of San Lorenzo in Damaso. He continued to take on projects for the enlargement of several cathedrals around Rome. The Cloisters of Santa Maria de Pace was Bermonti's first completed work in Rome, begun in 1500. Bermonti came to be regarded as the best architect in the city when Rovere was elected as Pope Julius II. He was so highly regarded by Julius that he became one of the main architects of the Pope. Julius and Bermonti shared a vision for Rome, a golden age. Julius wished for Rome to be the capital of the world once again. Rome had become a decaying backwater by the 15th century. The ancient forum was used as a pasture, the aqueducts no longer functioned, the Tiber had become a trash heap. The city itself had become a malarial swamp. With the help of Bermonti, Julius would begin a building campaign that would drain the disease-ridden swamp, clean up the rivers, and rebuild the roads of the city. In addition to these improvements, he would undertake monumental building projects throughout the city, restoring old churches and building new monuments. Bermonti's project to straighten and pave the roads of Rome helped travelers and pilgrims to the city as the city roads were often flooded and became impassable with mud and muck. The Tiber was dredged, improving navigation, and Bermonti built a new aqueduct, bringing fresh water into the city. The improvements of Julius, carried out by Bermonti, helped to bring Rome into the modern era and make the city hospitable and even an enjoyable place to live and visit. The Tempietto is one of the first pieces of high Renaissance architecture to grace the city of Rome. It was commissioned by Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain, the same royal couple who funded Columbus's expedition of discovery. The Tempietto is a chapel that lies in the courtyard of San Pietro in Montorio, a church which was also commissioned by Ferdinand and Isabella in 1500. The church would later be the home of works by Raphael, Vasari, and Bernini. In the 1600s, it would become the home of the tomb of Hugh O'Neill, the Irish chieftain who fled Ireland rather than submit to the rule of Queen Elizabeth, and he therefore died in exile. Bermonti's Tempietto owed much to Brunelleschi and his design for the dome of Florence Cathedral. He also drew on classical antecedents. 
and created a round structure within the space of the courtyard of San Pietro. The round church design was not unknown in the Christian world, and they were used often to house the bones of Christian martyrs in the early church. The spot for the temple was thought to mark the exact spot of St. Peter's crucifixion, and therefore Bramante hearkened back to the earlier churches of the Christian martyrs. The building is considered to be well-balanced in proportion and is an example of the Renaissance ideal of balance. The columns are stout and of the Tuscan order, giving the temple a solid appearance. In fact, Bramante's use of the Tuscan order is the first documented use during the entire Renaissance. This work brought him acclaim throughout the city and cemented his reputation as the foremost architect in Rome. Not long after completing the Tempietto and the cloisters, Bermonti was soon engaged in Julius's project to rebuild St. Peter's. The original St. Peter's sat on a swamp and the foundations were unstable. By 1500, the walls of the church were six feet from true and the basilica was at risk of collapse. A new church would have to be built and with a more stable foundation. Michelangelo's friend and fellow Florentine, Giuliano Sangallo, had been working on extensive renovations to stabilize old St. Peter's. As the Pope's architect, he assumed he would be given the project to build the new basilica, a development that would have been advantageous for Michelangelo. However, Julius decided to instead select the design of Donato Bramante. He was given control of the project. In the process of demolishing the old St. Peter's, the graves of numerous saints and martyrs were disturbed and churned up, and numerous paintings by artists like Giotto were destroyed. In 1506, Julius and Bramante stared into a gaping pit as the new foundation was laid and the building of the greatest church in Christendom was underway. The basilica was a huge financial undertaking. As a consequence, Julius would defund various other projects, such as the tomb under construction by Michelangelo. The Pope still needed funds, however, and resorted to the age-old practice of simony the selling of church offices, as well as the selling of indulgences. An indulgence was a piece of paper allowing the purchaser to get out of purgatory. The funds raised from the indulgences would go into funding St. Peter's. The selling of these indulgences would stir a German monk to such anger he would post 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg Cathedral. That monk, of course, was Martin Luther the first of many Protestant reformers to spring up over the next century. You can make a good argument that the building of St. Peter's was directly responsible for the Protestant Reformation and the breakup of the Catholic Church. Bermonti's plan was based on the traditional Greek cross design. The basilica would have four equal arms that meet in the middle, creating an extremely balanced design, like his design for the Tiempeto. A barrel and a dome would rise from the center of the cross and be mounted by a lantern, like the Dome of Florence Cathedral by Brunelleschi. If you'd like to learn more about Brunelleschi, we talk about him back in episode 3. In the work of Asari and Condivi, Bermonti is often the villain or the adversary. A more striking contrast couldn't be made between the two men. Michelangelo lived in a dirty hovel behind St. Peter's, despite doing quite well financially, while Bermonti entertained his guest in lavish style in a luxury apartment. Michelangelo was aloof and a loner, but Bramante was sociable, had many friends and many students. Much of this competition may have been in Michelangelo's own mind, though we can be sure they were often at odds with one another, 
and in competition for many projects in the city. In some of Michelangelo's letters, he's convinced that Bermonti is trying to kill him. This is part of the reason why he feared returning to Rome. Though it wasn't unusual for artists to get into physical altercations, just look at Michelangelo's broken nose, this story is likely overblown. Another tale revolves around the Sistine Ceiling. Michelangelo was convinced that Bermonti was behind the Pope's decision to have Michelangelo paint the ceiling and stop work on the tomb. There's evidence to support that Bermonti did encourage the Pope to stop work on the tomb, telling the Pope that it was bad luck to build his tomb while he was still living. Bermonti was probably aware of the cost of the tomb and the expenditures of the Pope and sought to protect his own project, the new St. Peter's. So he may have encouraged the Pope to forget about the tomb for now. As far as the ceiling itself, Michelangelo is convinced, as is Fasari and Condivi, that Bermonti put Michelangelo's name forward because he thought he would either fail or that he would refuse the Pope and therefore lose favor. According to reports of the day, it seems that Bermonti actually discouraged the Pope from selecting Michelangelo for the ceiling. However, the Pope was set that Michelangelo would complete the task and could not be convinced otherwise. According to a Mason who was with Julius and Bermonti at a dinner, Just after Michelangelo fled Rome, Bermonti made several arguments that Michelangelo was not up to the task. Several of his arguments were similar to the ones made by Michelangelo himself. He was a sculptor, not a painter. Bermonti is quoted as saying, Holy Father, I believe he does not have the courage and the spirit for it, because he has not done too many figures, and above all, the figures are high and in foreshortening. This is another thing from painting at ground level. Unlike Michelangelo, Bermonti was a painter, as well as an architect, and possibly trained under Piero della Francesca, and he knew the challenges that would face anyone painting the Sistine ceiling. The Pope would have none of it, and he demanded that Michelangelo do as he asked. Bermonti tells the Pope once again, Holy Father, nothing will come of it, because I have talked of it much to Michelangelo, and he has said to me many times that he does not wish to attend to the chapel. He did not wish to attend to anything but the tomb and not the painting. Always politically astute, Bermonti allowed the Pope his prerogative to force Michelangelo, though he would continue to lobby for other artists instead of Michelangelo throughout the course of the project. The Mason, however, hurriedly rushed off a letter to Michelangelo in Florence detailing the incident. The Mason defended the artist and felt that he had been horribly insulted by Bermonti. Michelangelo shared the Mason's opinion, even though Bermonti was only making some of the same arguments that Michelangelo himself had made. It is unknown if this challenge pushed Michelangelo to accept the project, or if he felt he could no longer refuse the demands of the Pope. Bermonti did remain in opposition to Michelangelo throughout the painting of the chapel. It was Bermonti who encouraged Julius to hire a young painter from Bermonti's hometown of Urbino, Raphael. Raphael would paint the Vatican apartments most famously the School of Athens. These apartments are just a few yards from the Sistine Chapel, and according to Vasari, Bermonti would sneak Raphael into the chapel so he could view Michelangelo's work. There is a ring of truth to this story, as we see Raphael's style change dramatically in the Vatican apartments as he adopts the more muscular figures of Michelangelo. The proximity of Raphael and Michelangelo meant they were in direct competition with one another, and typical of Michelangelo, he developed an intense hatred for his competitors. Raphael's association with Bermonti probably added to Michelangelo's resentment and paranoia. 
Though Bramante would continually put Raphael's name forward as a replacement for Michelangelo, citing Michelangelo's slow pace compared to that of Raphael, so maybe there is some justification for Michelangelo's resentment of Raphael. Despite the constant pressure of Bramante and the eagerness of Raphael, he was never given Michelangelo's ceiling. However, the Pope rewarded him with many frescoes throughout Rome, and Bramante continually promoted him. While still supervising the building of St. Peter's, Bramante embarked on a new project to construct the Belvedere Courtyard. The courtyard was intended to be a closed space that linked the Vatican to the Belvedere Palace, a papal residence located on the high ground of Vatican City, which offered a respite during the hot Roman summers. As with all of his other architectural endeavors, the Belvedere Courtyard is a marvel of symmetry. The entire courtyard is balanced by corridors that flank each side. These now house the Vatican Museum and the Vatican Libraries. As planned by Bermonti, the courtyard was large enough for entertainments such as bullfighting, a sculpture garden, and a theater. Bermonti would continue to work on St. Peter's until the death of Pope Julius in 1513 when he was replaced by another San Gallo from Florence. Bramante would die a year later in 1514 and never see his work completed on the Basilica. In fact, it would be under construction for the next century and undergo many changes before it was completed. Ironically, it was Michelangelo who saved Bramante's design. San Gallo and Raphael had aimed to turn the church into a Latin cross floor plan, and thus it would lose the balanced design of Bramante. Michelangelo took over the project and reverted the church back to the original design of Bramante. He continued with Bramante's design for the dome and modeled the dome very closely on that of Florence Cathedral. Thus, what we see today is primarily Bramante's design executed by Michelangelo. Next time, we will explore the work of Bramante's protege and Michelangelo's other rival, Raphael. Raphael, along with Michelangelo and Leonardo, would change the trajectory of art and become the standard for generations to come. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider writing a review on iTunes. I would also like to ask you to share this podcast with your friends on social media. Help me spread the word about the podcast so others can learn about the wonderful world of Renaissance art.